So today we're going to continue our series, uh, Mission 2022. And what we're looking at is, is what Pole Creek's mission is going to be for the year 2022. How is God going to use us in our community? And we believe the Bible gives us all the answers to exactly what kind of church that we need to be. We believe the Bible is fully sufficient as our ultimate authority as a church. That's why at Pole Creek, we do not just lackadaisically say, we think we should do this or we think we should do that. But we base everything that we do on the Word of God, the unchanging Word of God. The Bible is very clear as it even testifies of itself that when everything else falls, the Word of God will endure forever. The Word of God will always stand. And if we stand on the Word of God, we know that we will be obedient and honorable to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus even said to, uh, about God as he was praying to God for his disciples before his ascension. He said, Lord, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. And we believe that the word of God today is certainly truth. So the title of of this uh, sermon today, and this is the last sermon in this series, is a modern community. A modern community. And what we're seeing in the first part of the book of Acts is that even though these events took place some 2,000 years ago, they are still as relevant today as they were in those ancient times. The Bible speaks of this modern community known as the New Testament church. And it is modern to us today because it is still relevant to us and to our world. Listen, the only way the world is ever going to change is through the church of Jesus Christ. That's the only way that anything is ever going to get done. You have so many people, and this is kind of a a movement, I think, among people, especially in our country. They're distancing themselves from the local church, but they're saying, I'm still just as much of a Christian even if I don't go to church. And that's true to a certain extent in that church is not necessary for your salvation. You being a church member is not going to get you to heaven. We know that that is only by trusting in Jesus as your Savior and repenting of your sins. That's how we go to heaven. But the problem with that is is it contradicts the Word of God and it contradicts what Jesus himself said about the church. See, Jesus himself even gave himself for the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible even commands husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So if you are truly a Christian, you cannot, under the authority of God's word, say that you don't need the church. You're essentially saying that you don't need what Jesus Christ himself gave his life for. You're saying that you can do it all on your own. And today I'm here to say that that is going to set you up for failure. You're going to fall. Without the support and the community of a local church, you cannot fulfill your commitment as a Christian in the way that you could if you were a part of it. You will never be able to fully reach your potential as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ without the local church. The local church is a necessity. The local church was instituted in the book of Acts, and it is something that we should take seriously, that we should devote ourselves to, and that we should be a part of. Listen, you know what's beautiful about the local church? God has given each one of you special gifts. He has given each one of you special talents. He has called each one of you to a specific ministry. The local church gives you outlets in order to utilize those gifts that God has given you. You may have the gift of teaching. Well, confirmed upon our elders, and if our elders agree with that, we have Bible study groups that you can teach. You may say, you know what, God has called me to minister to children. Well, upon an extensive background check, then we can put you with our children, right? (laughs) And we do background checks, by the way. Extensive background checks. 
but there's, you're not going to be able to utilize those gifts and talents as well outside of the local church as you would inside the local church. You're not going to have a community of people who support you and love you if you're not a part of a local church. You're not going to have people whom you can support and encourage without the local church. The local church is infinitely important in the life of the Christian. Do not be uh, deceived by people who want to say, I don't need the church, I'll do church in the, in the deer stand, or I'll do church on the boat, or I'll do church at the RV park. Listen, God has called you to a specific local church. Do not forsake that beautiful thing in which he died for. So as human beings, we all have the basic need of community. God has created us as relational beings that we need to be in groups. We need to be around people who love us and who care for us. That is a God-given need that every human being desires and longs for. And the local church is set there to provide that need for you. Without being a member and actively attending, you cannot ever properly fulfill God's calling in your life. And I want that to ring true in your mind today as we go through this sermon. So as we think about this New Testament church... I want us to look at five different functions of this New Testament church. And I'm going to make the argument that if any church exists who is not fully participating in these five functions, then it is not a Bible-believing church. It is not a New Testament church without these five functions that we're going to talk about. You know, one thing that, uh, you know, children, I think, hate wearing shoes, a lot of them. Um, I've got a couple of them. And if you look at their feet, it literally looks like the foot of a Neanderthal. <laughs> it's, it's always dirty. I don't care how much you scrub those feet. They never get clean. You can tell they've got smashed toes, crooked toes, messed up looking toenails. I mean, they don't wear shoes, and it shows. Well, here's the problem with that. If you want to go into a local gas station, you know, let's say the, the uh, uh, establishment of the spot on 1923, okay? <laughs> Um, and you want to walk into that place, they're not going to let you buy a candy bar if you're in there not wearing shoes. You're going to have to put on a pair of shoes, and you're going to have to put on a shirt. Now, I don't know why the law does not include pants. Have y'all ever wondered that? <laughs> no shoes, no shirt, no service, but what about pants? I mean, to me, that's more offensive than the shirt, you know, but that, that's a whole different uh, ball of wax, I guess. But in the same way... <laughs> I'll let y'all get that out of your system before I get serious again. <laughs> y'all act like y'all had some experience or so. I don't know. I'm not, we're not going to get into that. But in the same way, the local church is like you. You know, If you try to go into this gas station and buy a candy bar without shoes on, they're not going to let you do it. Well, in the same way, the local church is not going to be able to function as a God-called church without having these five functions present in our ministries and in what we do every single day. And we're going to find those in the book of Acts chapter 2. So if you will go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 42. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 42. All right, once you've found that, stand to your feet as we honor God's Word, the eternal Word of God that never fails we're going to begin in verse 42, where the Bible says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. 
They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for your word today, and we're thankful for the birth of the New Testament church here in Acts. And Lord, as we read about this early church and what they did, what they participated in, how they viewed life, how they viewed each other, how they viewed your assembly and your church, Lord, help us to take notes. Help us, Lord, to draw as close to that original model as possible. Lord, we understand that through time, things become watered down. We, we start to get our eyes on other things. We start to look at things um, that's not really important as important. But Lord, help us just to erase that slate, to erase all of our preconceived notions about church and help us to focus on church as you prescribed it in the book of Acts. Lord, help us to use this as an example here in this Candler community here at Pole Creek Baptist Church so, God, that we can truly see people added to the kingdom daily as this church did as well. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the first aspect, that first function that I want us to see that is absolutely necessary in the local church is that we must be a community of evangelism. So if you're taking notes, write that down. We must be a community of evangelism. Now we're going to go back outside of our, um, our reading just for a moment back to verse 41 in the same chapter. And the Bible says this, So those who accepted his message, talking about Peter, as he was preaching on the day of Pentecost, were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard of the Publisher's Clearinghouse. All right? The Publisher's Clearinghouse is something that's probably not as popular today as it once was. But honestly, I had no idea what it was. I mean, I, kn I knew some things about it, so I decided to research the Publisher's Clearinghouse to figure out what that is exactly. So basically, they sell merchandise, magazine subscriptions, and they own a bunch of prize-based websites. So whoop-de-doo, right? The main thing they are known for, though, is knocking on some unsuspecting person's door with a big check, balloons, and champagne in order to give them some really good news that they just want a ton of money. Well, you know what? I always like delivering good news, don't you? I mean, that's got to be an awesome job. You get to be the person that just shares with someone, you're a millionaire, you just want a big, big prize. Well, in a lot of ways, that is evangelism. Evangelism is the sharing of good news. When you think about evangelism, the Bible says in Acts chapter 21, verse 8, The next day we left and came to Caesarea, where we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Well, the term evangelist here, when talking about Philip, who was also one of the first deacons of the church, means one who brings good tidings and good news. They are a herald of salvation. Now, what better news could you take to someone other than there's a way for you to have eternal life? Listen, there's no amount of money that can buy that. There's no amount of psycho psychology or psychiatry that can be worth that. We're talking about an eternal life in heaven with the creator of the universe. And God has called us in the context of this local church to share that good news. What an honor. What an absolute honor to be entrusted by the God of the universe to share with a lost and a dying world that they can have eternal life. That's what an evangelist does. In Romans chapter 10 verses 14 through 15, the Bible says this, how then can they call on him they have not believed in. And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? 
And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, when it says preacher there, it is not talking about a pastor like me. It's not saying that you've got to be the preacher of a church in order to share the gospel. What it's talking about there is an individual who proclaims. So in other words, if you proclaim a truth, you are a preacher of that truth. As I stand up here and I preach the word of God, I am proclaiming the truth of God's word. Each and every one of you as Christians are called to be preachers. Did you know that? Not pastors, but preachers. Did you know that even ladies can be preachers? And some of them don't throw a shoe at me or anything, okay? Even women can be preachers, and they should be. And I will argue that there are many women who are better preachers than men. Men, say amen. amen. All right, making sure you all are awake. Because it is simply not the office of pastor, but it is the proclaiming of truth. We are to be preachers of the truth. We are to be proclaimers of that good news. We are to be evangelists. Right now, we're offering our evangelism explosion classes. And that is something that I wanted to focus very strongly on this year. Because I don't believe that we can actually impact our community until we start evangelizing our community. There's no way that lives are ever going to be changed unless you who are sitting in these seats this morning learn how to share your faith and actually go and do it. You can come to church every Sunday, you can wear you know, your pretty clothes, get your hair done right, look the part of a church member, and be here and give and do all the things that you do, but until you are sharing your faith and you are participating in evangelism, you are not fulfilling your calling as a Christian. You are not fulfilling what God has called you and saved you to do. God did not save you to sit in the seat at church. God did not save you just so you can have a prosperous life and a good life. God saved you because he deserves the glory and because he wanted you to get to work and start reproducing, to start seeing other people saved. Listen, you know, we complain about this, the uh, condition of our community. We complain about the drug uh, epidemic that we see in our community you know, we hear about all the crimes. We see the vandalism. You know, we see the graffiti. We see the garbage on the sides of the road. You know, we talk about how this young generation just doesn't have it together. And we talk about how, you know, the, the future of our country the, is looking bleak. And we want to sit back and we want to talk about it. And we want to spend hours and hours watching news outlets and media. We want to spend hours and hours scrolling on our Facebook pages, thinking that somehow we, we're virtuous in that we just know that things are going wrong, but yet we don't do anything about it. But yet we as the church, the, the, the community of believers that God has called to change the world, we are doing the opposite. We're whining and we're complaining, but we're doing nothing about it. You know what, today I'm here to argue that until you start participating in evangelism in your local church, in the context of your local church, you are sinning against God. You say, well, Ben, I don't kill people. Ben, I'm not robbing banks. Ben, I'm, you know, I'm faithful to my wife. Did you know that there are sins of omission? The, the, the definition of sin, a very good definition, I believe, sin is anything you do or don't do that doesn't please God. Things you don't do can be sin. Did you know that? You have the knowledge of eternal life. You have the gift of eternal life. You know how a hell-bound sinner can become a heaven-bound saint. Why would you not want to share that good news? 
why would you not want to be trained as your local church is providing training? Why would you not want to take advantage of that and say, Ben, I will admit I don't know how to share my faith, and, and I want to learn, and I want to be put to work, and I want to see sinners saved. I want to see my community change. Listen, I don't care who the president is. I don't care who the governor is. I think they're all quacks, just to be honest with you. This country will not change because you decide to vote for somebody. This country, and voting is important, keep doing it, but it's not going to change the heart problem that we see in our communities. It's not going to change our next generation into a, to a people who just all of a sudden want to do right and work and do good things. The only thing that's going to change the heart of a sinful person is to be saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in order for them to be saved, the book of, of Romans has just told us, how can they believe unless they hear? Who's going to tell them? Who's going to go unless they're sent? It's us. We must go and tell people about their need for the Lord Jesus Christ. Silent Christians really are not living Christianity. Silent Christians are sinning. And today, I think as a church, we must repent of our sin of silence. We must repent of our complaining. We must per, uh, repent of our self-righteousness and us thinking we're somehow virtuous because we have this belief system, but yet we never put it to work and we never actually do what God has called us to do. I'll tell you today that that first century church, boy, they were hitting the ground with the gospel. They were telling people about Jesus. In verse 41, so those who accepted his message, see, his message had to be proclaimed before it could be accepted. It said, those who accepted his message, talking about the apostle Peter, were baptized, and that day, just one day, 3,000 people were added to the church. Did you know the same God that added 3,000 people to the church that day is the same God that's in heaven right now? He still has the same power. He still has the same character. He still has the same attributes. He is the same God, and he can do today what he did then. He can save souls in our community. So I think that we must be a community of evangelism. The second function, the second aspect that our church has got to possess and have in order to be a Bible-believing church is we must be a community of discipleship, a community of discipleship. Verse 42, we see that. It says there in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Discipleship is simply raising up followers, maturing followers. Well, who do we follow as Christians? The Lord Jesus Christ. Our job as a local Bible-believing church is to raise up Christians to be more like Jesus, to know more about Jesus, to learn about Jesus, to know what is expected of them as Christians. We must disciple our people. We must be a church that empowers our parents to disciple their children at home because we all will agree, parents, you have much more influence in the lives of your children than I do. They only hear me maybe 30 minutes a week. They're with you every single day. Parents, you must be discipling your children. And as a church, we must empower you to do the discipling. While you're here, while your children are here, it is our job to disciple you, to teach you the Word of God, to teach you what it means to be a Christian. Not to just give pretty sermonettes with poems and nice little illustrations and, and to have a nice pretty church building for you to go to. No, that is not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to get inside of you the truth of the Word of God. It actually matters what you believe. 
Because what you believe will always come out in who you are. What you believe to be truth will always affect your everyday actions. That's why it's important that we are careful about what we are exposed to in this world. We're careful about what things we take into our minds. Your mind is fragile. Your mind is like a sponge. It is susceptible to, to being veered off the right path. That's why it's important not to look at things that you shouldn't be looking at because once you have a mental image of something, your brain does not forget. Your brain is sensitive and it is worth protecting. That's why as a local church, we must be about protecting the minds of our people in order to get you the truth that is truly going to change your life and the lives of those around you. Most of you have probably either been trained in a job or at some point you would even have trained someone to do a job. When I worked at Wilsonard, it was very important when you're working on a machine that's a $300,000 machine that has the ability to cut your fingers off, that has the ability to jerk your arm off by the roots, to be trained before you use that machine. I mean, you're not going to want to just push somebody into using something like that without first them having the knowledge of what it can do, what it can't do, and what they should do to operate it properly. Christianity in many ways is the same way. We can't expect people to live like Jesus unless we teach them how to live like Jesus. You can't expect your kids to be just honest people of integrity just because you take them to church once a week. You must be investing. You must be people of discipleship. Our church must preach discipleship. The Bible is not foreign to discipleship, by the way. If you go back to um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, you'll read what's known as the Shema. And in the Shema, the Jewish people took very seriously about teaching their children the ways of God. Their children would have grown up knowing the stories of God, knowing how God is great, how God is holy, how God is wonderful, how God is the only one and true God, how to love God. And they would have invested in their children that truth day in and day out. And today, in our society, in our culture today, we step back and we say, what's wrong with our country? Parents no longer disciple their children. And I'm going to take it a step further. Grandparents no longer disciple their grandparents. You know, back in the old days, the family unit was very close. And the grandparents would have had a significant amount of influence in the lives of their children. And I believe I'm speaking to a lot of grandparents today who have influence in the lives of your grandchildren. And my question for you is, even though you've raised your kids, and even though you've gone on to that next stage in life, you have not been released from the duty of discipleship as a believer. And you must continue to invest in your grandchildren. We know when the grandkids come over, I just give them candy and let them watch TV. You are doing a disservice to your grandchildren. Listen, we all know that we all have an expiration date. There's, there's a date in heaven that God has written down of when Ben Heisey will die. It's already out there. It's already set. The Bible says that all will stand before the judgment of God. There's a, a, there's a day when we all will die. What are you doing with your time today? Are you investing in your grandchildren? Parents, are you investing in your children? Listen, we need to be people of discipleship. We need to be a church of discipleship, one who preaches teaching the Word of God. You know, it's interesting, that first church, they were a church who devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the Word of God because they knew how important it was. How many of us are doing that today? When we think about that and we think through that, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, is a passage and a verse that we all hold dear as Baptists. It is the Great Commission. And it says this, Go therefore and make disciples 
of all nations. Well, how do you make a disciple initially? You evangelize them. You share the gospel with them so they can be saved and become a disciple. Then it says you baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then, thirdly, you teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. And that's, this is Jesus talking here. He said, not only do you initially evangelize them and make them a disciple, not only do you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but you also teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. It's discipleship. So many times we're going to focus on that first part. You know, yeah, we've got to get people saved, we've got to get people saved. And yes, that's true. But what do we do with them once they're saved? What do we do with our children once they're saved? We say, all right, you're good to go. Go back at it. No, you take them under your wing. You mentor them and you disciple them to know what it means to be a Christian, to know what it means to live for the creator of the universe. I think today we are forgoing that and then we're reaping the consequences when our children go to college and they get out of college and they never darken the doors of the church again. How did that happen, Ben? There is a gap in discipleship and we need to get our discipleship back. In Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, the Bible says this, But you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible and sound in faith, love and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good. You hear that? They are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. To be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind and in submission to their husbands so that God's word will not be slandered. In the same way, older men, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. Folks, are we discipling? Listen, everyone in here has influence in the life of someone. You may say, Ben, I'm not some great leader. I'm not some charismatic person. I'm not eloquent in what I say. But I will guarantee you that there is someone in this world that looks up to you. I will guarantee you there was someone in this world whom you have influence in their life. What are you doing with that influence? Are you just letting it go by without utilizing it? Are you just saying, you know, yeah, that's great. I'm going to try to be a good person in front of them, but... And talking about Jesus and the gospel or teaching them how to actually be a man or a woman, that's, that's outside of my purview. I'm not their mom and dad. I'm going to let their mom and dad do that. Hey, listen, a lot of kids don't have a mom or a dad that's willing to do that. And you have influence in a child's life to show them what it means to be a Christian. You need to take advantage of that. We need to be raising up the next generation. We need to be people of discipleship. Thirdly, so the third function that a Bible-believing church must have in order to be a New Testament church is that we must be a community of ministry. So if you're taking notes, write that down, a community of ministry. And what I mean by that is us providing for the needs of people in our church and in our community. In this sense, here in verse 45 is what we're going to read, they served others out of the abundance that God had given them in order to provide for the needs of others. In verse 45 it says this, Acts chapter 2. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. See, these were people who would have had been very blessed. They would have been wealthy people. And they said, you know what? I'm going to sell what I don't need 
and I'm going to use it to provide the needs of others. I'm going to make sure that if it is within my power to provide the needs that someone has, then I am going to do that as a Christian. Here at Pole Creek, I am honored to say that we are a giving church. We are a church that does prioritize giving to the needs of others. I'm thankful for our deacons as they oversee our benevolence fund and as they are very good stewards of that money that is distributed to people who need in the church and people who are in need in our community. But even we as individuals need to be those kind of people. We don't need to just rely on, okay, just let the church administration take care of all those needs. There are going to be needs that come up that you see in people's lives who attend this church they are not ever going to tell Pastor Ben that they're in need. They're never going to go to the deacons and say, Ben, I have a need, but you may know of their need. You know what? It is your job. If you can provide for the need, provide. If you can't, share it with someone who can. Make sure you get their permission and say, listen, the church can help you with that. Please let me share that need with someone who can help. Because, listen, if we're not going to take care of our own, we don't have the right to be a church. That's like when Brother Jeff Frady has stepped out on faith and has, has taken a position with the local FCA as, as they are getting the gospel into our local school system and in our public schools. Listen, that doesn't, that, he can't just do that for free. There is costs associated with him conducting that ministry. Well, Pole Creek was the first to say, he's one of our own. We're going to make sure he can do that ministry. And we are providing that in our emissions budget. You And when you give your tithes and offerings, you are enabling Jeff Frady to be able to engage in that ministry. We've got to take care of our own. Hey, listen, if you're in this church and you say, Ben, God has called me to preach and I, I want to go to Bible college, hey, guess what? We're going to be the first ones to stand up and say, we're going to help you pay for your Bible college. We're going to be the first ones to empower you and to provide for your needs. You may say, hey, Ben, I have tried and tried. I, I, I'm working hard. I'm trying to find a job right now. And, and you know... I, things just aren't, aren't adding up, we'll say, you know what, let us help you get from step, step one to step two. Let, let us help provide for those needs. And that's what church is for. That's what we are for as a church. We've got to stick together as a people. But on top of that, we've also got to be a church that has compassion on our community. You know, the first thing we want to say when we see someone out there holding that sign is, get a job. And, and I've done it too. I'll be the first to admit it. I've thought it. And, and we say, there's so many jobs out there, why can't you just work? But the things that we don't think about is possibly that person is handicapped or that person has a mental disability or that person has uh, uh, mental health issues or that person um, is so far uh, pushed outside of the norms of society that in order for them to get a job, they would have to have a place to get a shower. They'd have to be able to find uh, decent clothes to wear to an interview. They'd have to have transportation to get to the interview. There's so many different things that people are struggling with, and we as the church provide those needs the best. You know why the government does so much of that? Because the church quit. Because the church quit having influence in our society. And we all know the government does a terrible job. Anything the government touches, they mess it up. And it's because God intended for us to be that charitable organization within this local community that reaches out and helps those in need. Now, sometimes the church shows tough love. Did you know that? Just because someone's got their hand out doesn't mean they get money. Because we're going to have to see evidence that you've actually been trying to get a job. We're going to have to see evidence that you don't, have a, you don't have a pattern of squandering money. That you don't have a pattern of irresponsible financial behaviors. But when we look through that, we also use that as an opportunity to teach these people how to have financial responsibility. And we give them the resources to do that. And we will counsel them in doing that. That's what the local church is here for. We're to be here to minister to those in need. 
Even Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Listen to what Jesus says here in verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You think providing people's needs is important to God? I believe it is. Now listen, I am a strong proponent that you don't just give handouts and you don't just provide needs without sharing the gospel. You must attach every need that you provide for with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're willing to take money from the church, you're willing to sit there long enough for Pastor Ben to share the gospel with you. And if you can't sit there and listen to Pastor Ben share the gospel with you, you don't need it as bad as you think you do. Amen? We have got to be a people who provide for needs but make sure not just to feed their, their, their earthly vessels, but also to feed them spiritually. We must be a church who participates in ministry in our community. Fourthly, we must be a community of fellowship. In verse 46, the Bible says this, Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. Listen, Baptists do that probably better than all the other ones because there's some kind of food involved. Now, we're not going to take a survey but I would say 80% of us have blown our BMI out of the water because we like food so much. Would y'all say, I'll say, I'm, I'll be the first one to say that I do. All right? I have a problem sometimes with my belt notches. There's just not quite enough on there. You know what I mean? Amen. That, thank you. I thought I was hung out there to drive, but somebody gave me an amen. Praise the Lord. And I'm not talking about you ladies. I'm just talking about the men too. Um, so fellowship is a part of church life where you can build lifelong relationships. During this... Uh, era of COVID, people have been so isolated, people have been so confined in their homes that they've lost that in a lot of ways. And we as the church are the answer for that. You know, the people in our community who are isolated, who need interaction, human interaction, we're the ones who need to be saying, listen, I've got a group of people who will love on you. I've got a group of people who will welcome you in. Why don't you come and be blessed by being around these other folks? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says this, and this is my life verse for the COVID pandemic. Verse 24, And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Today we have a, a world and a society of Christianity who is using the COVID pandemic to not no longer go to church. And, and I have been very patient in this, from the beginning, as, as when we first started the pandemic, um, I have been very patient in people using that um, as a reason not to come to church. And I believe there are people who had a right to say that, who possibly had some um, pre-existing conditions. It was unsafe for them to come out while the unknown was there about COVID. But we are now to the point 
where that is no longer an acceptable excuse from your pastor here at Pole Creek. The Bible has given us a command to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Now, it doesn't say don't forsake it as long as there's no pandemic. It actually doesn't say that. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why is it so important not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together? I will argue it is more unhealthy for you to disconnect from the church than it is for you to get COVID. And you may argue with that, and that's fine. But I'm talking about your spiritual well-being. I'm talking about the institution of the local church that God instituted for your benefit, for the purpose for you to interact with other people. Listen, study after study has been done, done, both Christian and both secular, that says people who do not interact with other people end up being unhealthy people. People who do not interact with other people end up with mental health issues. People who do not interact with other people are more likely to commit suicide. Now let's think about those facts and that reality today. And understand that God's gift to mankind is the local church. So you can have a community of people who will love you. You can talk football with them. You can go and you can go out to eat with them. You can go over to their house and have a cookout with them. People who will love you through your difficult times. My friends, that is important. And as your pastor, I will fight for that. I will fight for us to stay open. If this government, this local government ever says, Pole Creek, you've got to shut down... I'll be in this pulpit that next Sunday morning whether they like it or not. Those doors will be open for anyone who wants to come and hear me run my mouth for an hour. Amen? Because it's important. It is a command from God. It is the Word of God. And as a Bible-believing church, we will stand on the Word of God. The fellowship of this community is important, and it is not something that I'm willing to turn a blind eye to and that I'm willing to minimize because of some health emergency that we're seeing in our society. Lastly, we must be a community of worship. Man, y'all have got me fired up this morning. I'm going to have to slow down a minute. Shouldn't have had all that coffee. We must be a community of worship. So if you're taking notes, write that. This is the last one. Community of worship. We are not a Bible-believing church unless we are engaging primarily in the worship of our Creator. Verses 43 through 44 talk about that. If you want to look in Acts chapter 2, everyone in verse 43 was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. You go down to verse 47, the Bible says this, Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And listen to this. In the midst of that worship, every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Did you know that you were created to worship? I think probably one of the most philosophical questions of mankind is, Why do I exist? Why am I here? A lot of people say, You know what? I have no purpose. I have no value in life. You know, and, and they demean themselves. But I'm here to say that Christianity is the only worldview that actually gives people true value. Christianity is the only truth that actually tells you that you are important in the eyes of God. You say, well, Ben, you're always calling me a sinner. It's because I want to see you get saved because you're valuable. It's not because you're invaluable. Hey, if you were invaluable, I would never tell you you're a sinner. Because then I wouldn't care what happened to you. You're a sinner. You need to be saved. And you were created in the image of God. You have eternal value. Amen? Every person has eternal value. The homeless person on the side of the road, the child that has behavioral issues, the person in prison. Hey, I will even go as far as to say that the murderer, the terrorist, all the above are eternally valuable in the eyes of our God. They are created in his image and we must fight for them. And they were all created for the same purpose that you were created for, to worship our creator. Being created in the image of God means that we are to reflect God's glory to this world. I'm like a walking mirror. 
And when people look at me, I want them to see God's glory reflecting off of me. I want them to see who God really is by seeing how he has changed my life. That's what is important in this life and being created in the image of God. We see in verse 43, they were filled with awe because of the greatness of God. We see in verse 44, they were praising his name. Matthew 5, verse 23, takes this worship thing so important that it says that if there is something wrong with your heart, you need to get that fixed before you engage in worship. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 says this. So are you, if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. God is so serious about worship that he wants nothing coming in between you and him. The sin, he wants it to be under the blood. The, the bad relationships, he wants them to be reconciled. Because it is important that if you're going to worship the king of the universe, you need to come into his presence with a right heart. And I think a lot of times we come in Sunday morning worship and our hearts aren't right. We've had a hard week, we've had a busy week, and it's unintentional most of the time. But we've come to a place where we're like, I'm just got to get this one more checkbox off the list for the week, and I've got to get this done, right? So I come into worship, and I just go through the motions. We need to be a people who prepare our hearts for worship. You say, Ben, why, why, why don't we see people getting saved? Because I don't believe we're preparing our hearts for worship. I don't believe we're coming into the presence of God expecting him to do something great and mighty. I don't believe we're spending time in prayer before our services asking the Holy Spirit to come and welcoming him into our services. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Today I want to leave you with these questions. Are you glorifying God in all that you do? Are you fulfilling his purpose for your life? Maybe you're at odds with someone else in this church, and you need to go make things right. Maybe you're at odds with someone in your family, you need to make things right. Maybe you've got sin in your life that needs to be under the blood of Jesus, that needs to be confessed before him today. Or maybe you're here and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. Hey, I've got good news for you today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You can be saved today. You can actually know that heaven will be your home when you die today. Let's bow our heads in prayer.